to this, can we? Today we start a brand new series, and uh, we will blend this a little bit. It's called Willful Blindness, Refusing to See. Can you say that with me, please? Say willful blindness. Every year I try to answer one question. I keep saying it all the time, right? And the question I try to answer is one I think you should ask me. So each year I go through a series of questions, and today's, this year's question is, um, why don't people do what they say they're going to do? Why do you promise God things, promise yourself things that you don't do? You make a lot of statements, especially in January of every year, New Year's resolutions. And, but then you find yourself over time just not finishing, not getting it done. And then you feel bad because most of us, <laughs> in my research, I ran across a term, performance-driven self-identity where my identity is, is directly linked, my, my insecurities are directly impacted by my performance. If I get a big paycheck, I feel like a man. Oh, boy, I got a big payday today. If I get something done early, if I cut the grass and it looks great, lawn looks great, you, you guys know what that feeling, you know what that feeling is? Like? You cut that, you step back, oh, yeah, there you go. Or you get your car cleaned or whatever it is. Or if you, if you get in the mirror and you know you sharp. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all came to church like that. You knew you looked good today, and you do. But that, that, that performance, your performance impacts your self-identity. And I have to be careful that that doesn't become an extreme in me, that I'm not judging myself every day by how many pounds I am or how much body weight, my muscle I have, or whatever, whatever's going on in my life. i got to be careful that I don't define my value. A lot of people who become suicidal, a lot of people who become depressed, they feed in that land. They feel, I'm not performing. I'm not the man I should leave. I don't have enough. I failed in this area. I should have graduated. You got your list of shoulda, coulda, wouldas? Come on, do you have your list of shoulda, coulda, wouldas? And, and, and it follows you. And every now and then, if you're not careful, you're blind to the real issues in your life. There's a term in, 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 in the legal environment that I, uh, culture that I've really been in, in, in for years now, it's not just recently, but there's a book I, I read called Grit. And in this book, um, she talked about this. It's, uh, and by the way, if, you, if I mention a book, sometimes you can go find them at rickytemple.com. Say my name, come on, rickytemple.com. And click on resources. And, and, and well, even if you click on read with the pastor, there are books that I'm reading. Normally, right now, there are like three books up there on that list that you can go pick and read. And if you go in the archives, it's like seven or archives, and one of them has grit in it. And it has a little, um, a little um, video with her, with, her, with her talking about it. But it's the first time I ever heard the term willful blindness. And I heard it being applied in, in a legal context where the judge says, basically, it was a case, Regina versus sleep. And really, the 1800s, believe it or not, way long time ago. And uh, this particular... Um, 1861 to be exact, the judge said um, basically that you can be guilty if you have the ability to know but chose not to know. You're willfully being blind. So I give you a bag and tell you I'm going to give you $20,000 to take it to Brunswick. And you go, you give me $20,000, take this bag to Brunswick. And you said no questions. So they arrest you, it's got drugs in the bag, and you say, I didn't know. The judge would say, did you look in the bag? 
Did you ask what was in the bag? Why would anybody give you $20,000 to take a bag to Brunswick, which is about 45 minutes from here? Why? Well, you were willfully blind. Say amen if you got the concept. The question is, what could you know that you refuse to know? You refuse to see. In the next two sermons, we're going to talk about refusing to see, part one and two. And it's under this, this overall topic of being willfully blind. I argue that there are things that you could know. If you're really honest, emotionally intelligent, if you stop the train, you could see your family's out of control. You could see what God is trying to tell you. On Palm Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus and how the people around him could see who he was if they paid attention. But they refused to see. They didn't want to see him that way because it would change who they were. Their power base would be removed. They wouldn't have the authority that they thought they would have. And so they just closed their eyes and pretended. But what's also sad is for a season, in this story I'm going to read to you in a minute, they, they came with palm branches and as Jesus walked through the streets and declared who he was, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, Lord, they declared. But that was all fake. You ever, you ever talk to people? Well, let's not talk about the people. Let's talk about you. Uh, that's more fun. Have you ever pretended that you didn't see what you really saw? You were really faking. The truth is, you didn't want to really look. And I think there's a price tag for that. There's a price when you refuse to see. And the only way you're going to change it is to have a courageous conversation about it. And in the coming month, we'll talk about that. The price tag for refusing to see. And how the only thing that will turn it around is that courageous conversation. And for some of you, this is it. This is it. A courageous moment for you to say, okay, what am I refusing to say? By my children, by myself, about the choices I'm making, about my health, about my spending habits. I generally get involved in people's lives um, afterward. Very seldom am I involved on the front end. The sermon part, this is the front end, but normally when I'm personally involved, they have been living in what they call ostrich state. That's one of the terms for willful blindness legally. Another term for it, they call the ostrich defense. I buried my head in the sand and pretended it didn't happen. What in your life? Today, are you ignoring? Just for a moment, be honest and say there may be something to this. In Acts chapter 7, verse verse 51, I'm going to read a story. This is a blind leader, a bunch of blind leaders refusing to see. I chose this first before I read the text that's commonly read on Palm Sunday because I wanted you to see this in living color. There's a guy named Stephen who's preaching. And um, Stephen is uh, what we call a deacon in our culture. And Stephen is speaking to leaders. And as he talks to them, you're going to see their response to a message that they know is true. They know it's true, but it's painful. It's a courageous conversation he has with them that really causes him to lose his life. Now, I could read the whole story, and that's what gets preachers in trouble, trying to read too much to you. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, here's what it said. This is, this is Stephen talking. You stiff-necked people, 
that's pretty tough. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. That's even worse. Please understand that when you called a Jewish person uncircumcised, you were saying you ain't saved. You're not in a relationship with God. Because circumcision was their sign of a covenant with God. They called Gentiles uncircumcised. So think of the worst thing you can say to a person other than your mama. <laughs> this is it. So he looks at the crowd of people without apology, people who refuse to see, people who refuse Christ. He'd just given a long sermon on what Christ did. Gave a masterful scholarly summary of the, of, of the prophetic move of God in the world and these were guys who knew that story. They were scholars. But instead of hearing it, they, the Bible says they become extremely violent. Watch this. He says, you're, 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 you're stiff-necked. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. That's the your mama part, your daddy part. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, these people were spiritual church people. You, what do you mean we resist the Holy Spirit? Then he goes on to say, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. They killed the ones who prophesied that the Messiah would come. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Oh, that's personal. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. That's tough. You got to understand, this is tough language. You're hypocrites, you're phony, your mama's bad, your daddy bad. It's a really tough conversation going on. And he's just letting them have it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, verse 54 says, they were um, furious. And so mad that they started gnashing their teeth together. You can hear the teeth gritting in the audience. Why did he say it? Because God wanted him telling the truth. God wanted them to see. So the story goes on, and you can read it on your own. They stone him. Amazing. I'll come back to that in a minute. John chapter 12, verse 12, is where I want to jump to for now. For a moment. There's this surprising response that Stephen gets because of the glorious response Jesus got on this day we celebrate. You would not think that people would be this antagonistic and this angry and this resistant to truth. In our culture, you see this rising. In our culture, you see a rising tide against the word against the truth, a resistance, a willful blindness that's spreading in our politics. Wherever you stand on either side, you know there's blindness on both sides. A resistance to truth. No one side has it all, by the way. Nobody knows it all. My politics are affected by my experience in my life, my economics, and if I'm not careful, I won't care about yours. And I'll support the things that make me better and, and forget about you. 
That's why Jesus really talked about caring about the poor and the hurting and the hungry. Because if I'm not careful, I don't know what it feels like to not have a meal. I can be willfully blind and ignorant, but I can pretend real good. John 12 is about pretending, people. It's about folks faking it till they make it. They're all excited about Jesus and you think God is moving because here's what it says in John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, I'll come back to Stephen's story in a minute. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Paul's right there, people. That's good stuff. That, this is what you think is a turning point. You think everybody gets it now. He's healed the sick. He's raised the He's done all these amazing things. And you think, boy, man, they can see. You ever got that way with your family? Thought everybody was there, right? Had one good Thanksgiving meal. Had one great moment. Had one great conversation with your son or daughter. And you thought, now they see. Your daddy and you sat down, had a crying moment. We were in that meeting and everybody was crying over racism and tension. We get it now. We see. The light's on. You think people see. But deep down, there's resistance to seeing. I fight it. What's the truth about you, Ricky? What's the truth? Not, 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 not some fake, but the truth. So, they shout, blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. These were guys who studied prophecy. These were guys who knew these verses. These were guys who saw this in the Old Testament. These were guys who understood this, but they refused to apply it to him. The blindness was hidden behind flattering words. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's the question. What is hidden behind your words? Great praise, great singing today, great worship, but behind these words, will this carry beyond these walls? Here's the tragedy. This week they celebrate him. Next week they crucify him. This week they praise him. Next week they forget about him. This week they're happy. Next week they're not. And when you travel down the travel, travel through time, when you get to Stephen, they're stoning him, a guy who talked about Jesus. So what happened? Same question for us today. What's happened to our kids? What's happened? You know, I think about how much God loves us. I think about Stephen. I think about, I think about the effort that God has made to reach us. I think about how many times he's given us an opportunity and then I, if I'm really honest, I didn't take advantage of all that. I don't know if you have that same testimony. How many times did I get in debt and out of debt? How many times did he talk to me about my marriage or about my children or about some area of my life? And I pretended that I was listening. And I said I was listening. But if you look at the look, look over time, I was more like these guys who just got an attitude when God really confronted me. 
I like Palm Sunday. I like it because it reminds me of what Jesus did. I like it because it, it inspires me. I like it because I'm, I get this fantasy moment of, boy, people are really getting it. But then I turn the corner and I look down, I look down the tunnel of time and I go, well, what happened when you get to Stephen's season? How could a few months end up like this? A few years down the road from that great revival you had in your life, how in the world did your family get to this place? How, does, how do people celebrate Christ today, but then in a year or two months or six months, it's all gone? When you get to Stephen, it's all gone. When you get to Stephen, there's no more memory of what you said on Palm Sunday. I like church. I love it. I enjoy the experience. Some may think, no, if he did, he'd be here every week with us. We'd have four services on four Sundays. That don't prove you love God. Amen. Can I get an amen, somebody? Because I want to be clear. I love God. I love church. I love coming. I think it's wonderful. I love those of you at home. God bless you. You get credit for church today. I'm happy that we have these different options. But let me tell you something. If it doesn't last over time, it's not real. If it only lasts for a few days or a week or a month, you weren't serious. It's when you are totally committed, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. It's when it's generationally part of your life. I don't want to just have a relationship with Jesus or have one great moment. Hosanna, Hosanna. I don't want to just sing one song one time. I want to be changed for real. And here's what we're seeing in our school system. You know what I tell pastors? You want to know where your church is? Go look at your youth department. And they ask me. I say, if you want to know where you really are, take the pulse of your children. Sit down with them and talk to them. The average pastor has never sat with his teenagers and talked to them. They're scared of them. I just met with Alice for three weeks. I told them the first week, people scared to talk to y'all. They said, why? Because <laughs> you ask all kinds of questions. I told them we're going to talk about three things next three weeks. Relationships, sex, and money. One of them said to me, you're going to talk about sex in the house of God? <laughs> See, that's why they don't talk to young people. See, that's exactly why. I said, God made it. That's why we're going to talk about it. And plus, I won't say a whole bunch of you. Okay, I won't say nothing else, all right? Some of y'all are interested. I'll put it like that. I don't want to have a pretend relationship. I don't want to be the kind of guy who just has a great celebratory moment that impresses people. I have been a hypocrite. I don't know if y'all need to be saying yes, Lord, to that now. Hold on for a second. Wait a second, Helen. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, Lord. I said, wait a minute. Hold on here. Back up the train just a little bit. Back up here. <laughs> All right, let's see how many honest people we got in the house. Anybody ever didn't do what you said you said you're going to do? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You didn't do what you said you are going to say. Well, what didn't you do? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. See, I want you to understand, all of us have been these people hollering, Hosanna, 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 and then stoned Stephen later on. All of us. 
have pushed off honest conversation. All of us have stopped our ears up and ran at somebody who told us the truth. All of us have stories where somebody loaned you, loaned, they loaned you money, and now you get an attitude when it's time to pay it back. Why are you quiet now? You know I'm telling the truth. When, they, when you see him, you go the other way. Act like you don't know what happened. All of us have watched the movie too long. Some say turn, you say in a minute. But after this scene right here, some of us will admit you drank too much this weekend. Last night, you just woke up watching me from home because your eyes still red. Some of us, you're fine until the lights are low. You love Jesus and you care about God until the lights are low. Until this ladies night, uh-huh. See, don't sing that. You're about to sing it. It's the feeling is right. You're about to see it, right? See, some of you are fine here. In a moment. And that's the problem. You're willfully blind to that. Here's what you got to do. And I'm done. Decide to be honest with God. Decide you're not going to stone the person telling you the truth. Decide that you're going to really have a, a moment with yourself. When you say, God, you know what? I don't know how to be perfect, but I do know how to be honest. I want you to stand on your feet with me. Some sermons are just too long. I just need you to get to the point. Don't be willfully blind. Don't refuse to see. If your life's out of control, admit it. Jesus, help me be honest with you. Help us be honest with you. Wow. Look at me for a second. Did a study the other day, pastors, and I read them something. most respected people in America in a study were nurses, 79 percentile. Next after that were doctors, 62 percentile. Pharmacists, 58. High schools, teachers, 53. Highly respectable. Police officers, believe it or not, with all the still 50 percent. Accountants, 41 percent. Judges, 39%. Highly respected. Clergy, 34. We're eighth on the list. Just above bankers. Why don't they like us? Church sex scandals, sexual moral failures, 
negative presence of church leaders on social media, ethical failures of pastors dealing with financial issues, and pastors who consistently are against something. Every sermon, every message is about something. Oh, I'm about to get in trouble. I don't even care. The Bible does not support the gay lifestyle. I'm sorry, I didn't write it. But that ain't the issue. I love all gay people. Heterosexual, it doesn't matter. Man, listen, man, I ain't, I ain't got no time to pick on anybody. I got gay people in my family that I love, and they're good people. And the churches spend too much time. Why are you picking on people? They got enough to fight. I'm sorry. I said what I said because I believe it's biblically true. I'm sorry. I apologize. If you think I'm being offensive, I'm not. It's just, it's just not the book that does. Adam and Eve. It's the only way the plan would work. You couldn't fill the planet. I'm sorry. Don't get offended. See, I can't even talk to you. Misread my heart. But it is true. Every time you're up, you're preaching against gay people. Every time you get up, you're cracking jokes, making it funny. People, it ain't funny. They're fighting a fight of their own, and they don't need you to beat them in the ground. Come on, now you hear what I'm saying to you? They don't need you to beat them in the ground. Love everybody. Give everybody a chance. I can lie to you about the Bible. See, this is called willful ignorance. I can say, no, the Bible don't say that. I can sit here and try to say it. Just, it does not. You have questions. I get it. I get it. That's another conversation another day. This is not about. God, I hate it. You know, my biggest issue. Ain't nobody gay. It's fornication. Take my shoes off. I'm going to hold the ground right now. I'm going to tell you what my challenge is. You want to know what I fight? And I've been pastoring for 43 years. I'm telling you what I fight. The most of the people that follow me don't think it's wrong. They sleep with whoever they want to, when they want to, and do have no guilt. Zero. I never assume you're not. I always assume you are now. I used to ask. That's in the old days. Now I know. Probably so if you're dating. Probably so. So what are you going to do? Am I going to beat you down? No. Here's why. If not for the grace of God, there go I. If not for the grace of God, if not for the grace of God, I want, you, can, you can be willfully blind now and pretend you don't know what I'm saying, but you know you're fighting it, the pornography. You're fighting it with lust. You're fighting with temptation. You're fighting. You're fighting. It's hard for you as a man to be alone with any woman and not drool and lose your mind. It's hard for you women, and you're good at it. You know when you lust, you got a skill. Can't even tell. Other women can tell you lusting, but other men be dog, dog, dog. We don't know what y'all doing. But y'all some professional lusters. You know I'm telling the truth. But you are willfully blind to that. You want to spend all your time. That's why they criticize us pastors. We spend all of our time talking too long, throwing off little hints, cracking jokes on people. Let me tell you something. People are trying to find God. People are trying to find help. 
And they don't need my mockery. They don't need me to put anybody down. Whether you be gay, straight up, down, broke, financially rich, I don't care where you are. Here's the key. Wherever I am, I bring it to Jesus. I bring it to Jesus. Because that's why he died next week. That's why he suffered for you. He didn't come for you to be mocked by anybody. He didn't come for you to be put down by anybody. He came for you to be free in the name of Jesus. Come on, shout amen if you hear it. So I'm not judging you. And I'm not going to put you down. Because I didn't doubt the cross for you. He did. So God, we leave this place in a minute committed to hearing your word. We're going to come to communion now. And we're going to honor you because you died for us to set us free. In the name of Jesus, have a seat. Have a seat. I offered you a communion. Better, no better time than now. If you did not receive one, raise your hand. We came in. Everybody should have got one. If you're home, go to the kitchen real quick. Get yourself something. Get yourself some juice. I prefer juice. I know we've been saying anything, but I'm going to restrict it to juice in the future. I want just juice. If you got any kind of juice, but if you got, matter of fact, keep some in your house. Now, you know we do communion a lot of times online, so I want you to keep some in your house. I keep some in mine on purpose, so I'm giving you a chance to run to the kitchen right now and get you some. If you have need of this, raise your hand. If you, I should, if you didn't get, if it won't open, raise your hand, and they'll bring you another one by. Sometimes you got one that didn't quite work right. Pull it, pull it back. Grab a piece of bread if you got some in the house as well. I, I believe that Jesus did this to say, you know, my body was broken for you, bread, because you're broken. And I want you to take communion as a symbol of my life was given for you because I know you couldn't save yourself. And so I want you right now, whatever state you're in, as imperfect as you may be, just be open with God. Say, God, you know, I, I see things in my life I need your help with. I need you in my life. This is the best time to give your life to Christ. If you want to give your life to Jesus, right now is the best time to do it. So I want to pray this prayer. Father, we come to you today. Understanding this bread is a symbol of your, your, your body broken for us. So we partake of this, honoring you and giving you all the praise in Jesus' name. Lord, this juice we take, understanding who you are, understanding the power of your life that was sacrificed for us. We partake of this today, celebrating your life. And so, God, we celebrate today your hand, your life, your gift to, to us. We honor you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now let's all stand. If you heard the word today, what you said, what said to you, either online or in person, spoke to you, and you really want this to be a moment of transformation for you, I want to offer you an opportunity to receive some information to help you start your life with Jesus. I prayed, I'm going to pray one more prayer for people who sang, Jesus, I give you my life. And if you're online, 
you join me in this prayer. God's right there with you in your living room or wherever you're watching this, even on demand. God's watching with you right now. His presence is there. So let's pray this prayer. Father, I pray for those who say this is the moment when I give my life to Christ. I realize that what he said today is true. I have been willfully blind. I've been ignoring my need to give my life to God, but I realize I need to. So today I do. I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender to your life. And I ask you to help me find a new walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head, body, every eye closed. If that's your prayer with me today, just raise your hands. Yeah, I prayed that prayer with you, Pastor. I hear you. Surrendering my life. I see people. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I see you back there. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. God bless you. I know many of you online are doing the same thing. And even on demand, I want to say God hears you today. God's with you today. So this is the day. Now, at the end of the service, I want to tell you something. There's a packet of information. Look up this way.